family and business. Two words that can be dangerous when put together, kind of like church and state. Owning a small business is hard, but when you add family to the mix, it gets even more challenging. And many of you know this, since a majority of American businesses are family-owned or controlled. So how can you make a family business a successful legacy and not something that damages everything and everyone around you? From the Ramsey Network, this is the Entree Leadership Podcast, where we help business leaders grow themselves, their teams, and their profits. I'm your host, George Camel, and in today's episode, we've got two interviews on the business driver of PLAN. You'll hear conversations on how to operate a successful family business and transition it to the next generation. First up, we've got Dave Ramsey. Dave is the CEO here at Ramsey Solutions, and he wrote the book Entree Leadership, which is our business and leadership playbook. Then our second interview, we have one of our leaders, Daniel Ramsey, and he's going to join Dave and I to talk about how we do family business here at Ramsey Solutions. First up, we've got our conversation with Dave. He talks about how family business can be a rich blessing, but it can also be a dysfunctional mess. Most people that run a business love what they do. That's why they started the business. And you get to share something that you love with your family. And so it can be very rich. Uh, the problem is the family business is only as functional as the family is functional. And lots of families put the fun in dysfunctional. <laughs> so they, you know, so they bring their dysfunctional family into a business and expect the business somehow to solve that. And instead, it magnifies it. So it sounds like there's a foundation that needs to be laid out. And you've really uh, laid out three phases to family business. And you talked about this at our Entree Leadership Master Series. We did a whole day on family business and people were going crazy for it because it turns out a lot of the listeners are in family business. So I want you to walk through those phases kind of before you get into family business, during and after kind of the succession plan. So walk us through the first phase before you get into business. What are the things you need in place? What are the conversations you need to have? What are the prerequisites you need to put in place? Well, one is that in a sense, when you're raising your children, you're raising them to be great team members, great employees, wherever they go. Teach them to be honest, have good communication skills, to have great work ethic and those kinds of things. So it's the ultimate training program for your employees your home for your children, right? And, and so if you raise children that have those skills, that's your prep work. And so if you've got a 16-year-old that's an entitled brat, then guess what they're going to be when they're a 26-year-old on your team? Entitled an team. Entitled member. brat, uh, you know, and it's a problem. So you've got to kind of get the home life thing going, the parenting thing going uh, way, way in advance. That's the ultimate pre-planning for family business. And so it starts when the child is born, three years old, and they're walking around. Hey, how, how are you going to allow them to behave, you know, and so forth? So, because that's how they're going to behave at wherever they work, whether it be at the family business or not. And then once they leave that and they become adults and they're going to consider whether to join the family business, uh, I've had friends that had family businesses and friends that our second and third generation family businesses that they really weren't hardly given a choice. They were just told just you're going to be working it. here. It's like part of what our family does. It was, uh, and psychologically that's really a bad idea. Spiritually it's a bad idea because you can be really trying to put a square peg in a round hole. And just because they have your name after them, you can really do damage to the organization and to the person. So we told our three kids, don't come to work at Ramsey. Don't, unless God calls you, because I'm called to what I do here. God has a call on my life to help people learn biblical principles in the business space, the leadership space, the money space, whatever it is, to change their lives. I'm called to do that. If, if someone comes in here because it's convenient, because they can know they can get the job because they've got their dad owns it, then that's not going to work out if they come in here because they think it's going to be easy or because it's an act of loyalty. You know, that lasts for a little while, but it doesn't last like a call lasts. So you need to have a sense of call on your life to come here. And so that's manifested with each of our three in different ways. But we kind of said, don't come unless you're sure God is telling you to. Mm. How does that process work? Is there a certain point where you've had enough conversations where you both say, yeah, 
I feel called and I, I believe you are. Let's make this happen. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I can kind of walk through a couple of ours. I mean, Rachel, uh, she was on stage at 16 years old selling kids' books in front of 11,000 people at live events. It was and natural so, for her just so, to I mean, to do that. that. That child came out of the womb with a cigar and a bottle of champagne. <laughs> She's been a dancing poodle since she was born. So she was going to be on stage somewhere doing something, and she loved it and has always loved it and is always very good at it. I mean, she's a natural in front of the camera, in front of the microphone on the stage, a good communicator. Always, and was that she was that little kid, you know? You were that little kid, you know? Yeah. There's no question about it, you know? And, and so uh, I was a bit. We're ham. We're hams, you know? So we like the spotlight. We like doing that stuff. So we kind of knew more more with her before we knew with the other two. Um, and so she went and got a communications degree in college. And we kept talking about it, but we were kind of 70, 80, 90% sure she was probably coming on and was going to be a speaker in the future. And we didn't know how that was going to work. We didn't have it all figured out exactly the details of it, but we felt pretty good about God's hand on her life using her talents that way. Denise, on the other hand, our oldest child came out of school and she's our ministry minded, big hearted one, biggest heart. And so she went to work for a ministry, a nonprofit, nothing to do with us, did not feel called. And years and years and years later, uh, we decided, uh, Sharon and I decided to move our charitable giving to a more formal, systematized process instead of just whatever we wanted to do off the top of our head in a family foundation. And so I started studying family foundations, realized I needed a director of the foundation. I thought, well, my daughter's at a nonprofit. Maybe she could run the nonprofit. And I called her and we sat down and talked. And she said, no, I don't feel released from the other place. So she did not come. And it was a year and a half later before she said, you know, if you haven't filled that still, I think I want to talk about it. I do feel released now. And so, you know, and it was, by the way, it was fine if she didn't. There was no pressure. It was just, here's something I'm going to be doing. If you want to join up on this side, this ministry side of things, and you run that, that's fine. So she came over that way. And, of course, Daniel was the last to join the team, the youngest. Yeah. So once you've got the kids, they've decided, they feel called to it, now they're in it. And so this is a different situation. What are the things that you need to be thinking about once you're in the business, you're in the operation side, and you've got the day-to-day going? You know, we've learned a lot of different things uh, from people running family businesses successfully and big ministries as well where the family was involved, um, little things. and But a couple things that come to mind immediately was that one lady said, don't call each other pet names from childhood or something. So you're not dad at work. And so if Rachel or uh, Daniel Ramsey are in a meeting somewhere inside Ramsey with a thousand team members, they don't say dad sis. they say Dave says, or this is what I think Dave would do. Or if I'm in the meeting with them, they call me Dave inside this building and we're not uber strict about it, but we are very careful because that resets everyone's mind that these are adults that are carrying their weight. And because if, if a 35-year-old son is sitting in a meeting and says, my dad says, or, or my daughter says, my daddy says, the room tilts without her intending it to. It tilts and everybody's like, because there's all this confusion between childhood language and so forth. And the second one is what we call hats. And it comes from an old Henry Cloud story that Henry tells the story of a manufacturing guy who was trying to train his son up to take over. And his son was just a jerk and he was horrible and really didn't do a good job. And he was always mean to the team, the manufacturing guys on the floor. And they sent him off to, you know, different schools to try to learn people's skills. And he just... It just was was not working out. So the dad was sitting in his office looking down on the manufacturing floor, sees his son for the umpteenth time down ripping somebody to shreds. So he bangs on the window, calls him up, and he had two hats printed up, one that says dad and one that says boss. And he put on his hat that says boss, and he said, "Uh, we've been trying to train you to be nice to people for years. I put my best people to help mentor you, and you will not learn it. I am not going to leave my business that I spent my life on to someone who's going to mistreat the team. I have staked my reputation on treating the team well, and you don't, and you're fired. And he took his boss hat off and put his dad hat on and said, son, I heard you just lost your job. How can I help? (laughs) (laughs) So we, you know, I don't know if it's a true story, but it illustrates the point. We call it hats. And so when we're at work, I have on a hat that says CEO, owner. 
personality that grew Ramsey, uh, deserving of respect for those reasons. And the way you would treat your CEO is the way you're going to treat me, whether you are my child or whether you're my team member. And I don't demand it. I'm, I mean, I expect you to argue with me. I expect you and I do that. Uh, Daniel Ramsey and I do that. Rachel certainly argues with me. Uh, it's like a sport. And uh, But that, that's fine. But that's how we treat the CEO here. The CEO doesn't demand formality or something, but you also don't. And I treat them like I would treat you or Christy or Ken Coleman or another senior VP or another operating board member. If they're out of line, I'm going to call them on it. Uh, if they did something good, I'm going to tell them they did good. I'm going to treat them ex- as best I can exactly the same way. I don't use my dad voice on them. Mm. And uh, so, but that's why I'm wearing that hat. They're wearing the hat of, Rachel's wearing the hat of personality. Daniel Ramsey's wearing the hat of executive vice president of Entree Leadership right now, an operating board member. And so that's the hat he wears. And so I've got other people who are executive vice presidents and operating board members in this, in this organization. And I interact with them almost identically. And they're paid the same and everything else. So when we're at home, at my house and my grandbabies come over, I take that hat off and I've got the Papa Dave hat, right? And I'm bouncing Rachel's babies on my knees. Um, we're not talking about business there at the Thanksgiving table. I'm Papa Dave. I'm not the CEO. And you treat me that way. And I treat Rachel's my daughter. And these are my grandbabies. And, you know, th- that's a whole different set of rules for relationships. And we operate within that paradigm. If someone wants to talk business at a family dinner for a minute, like, uh, usually it's Rachel, uh, that she heard something was happening and Daniel Ramsey and I are in on it cause we're on the board and, and executive committee. And she's not, maybe wasn't in there when something was being discussed. She, hey, what's happening with so-and-so if you don't watch the rest of the whole family is now carved out and this side little conversation is going on. We don't do that. If we want to do that, she has to raise her hand and ask the whole family's permission for a short timeout for us to do a little bit of business so she can get caught up or whoever, but it could be Denise. It could be Daniel, but, uh, most of the time it's Rachel. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That makes sense. So on the operation side, you got to treat them just like a team member and you have the same expectations, if not higher expectations. And yeah. I've got to see that work ethic and that humility over the years working with Rachel and with Daniel and Denise. When they were working, doing stuff around here with teenagers, we taught them that we taught them because your name is Ramsey, you have to work twice as hard and be twice as good to even be respected mm-hmm. because people are going to assume you're a schlep. They're going to assume that you're going to half butt it and get away with it. They're assume you're going to be a the trust fund baby, you know, kind of thing. And so in order to be respected, you have to be twice as good. Yeah, I love that. So as you kind of enter into the succession phase, this is kind of the after we're starting to transition things. What are the things, and I know we're kind of in that realm now, what are the things that people need to be thinking about as they hand things over and let go? Well, number one, the best succession plans are thoroughly laid out and very, very gradual. Too many people in family businesses grab their chest, having a heart attack. As they fall back in the grave, toss the next generation the keys and go, good luck, I'm dying. And it's like instantaneous. And they don't, they're like, I've never driven a car before. I don't know how to drive a car. And dad's dead. Now how do I drive a car? And and so that's dumb. That's dumb. And so instead, you should take a 10-year period of time. And it's so gradual and so smooth that by the time the next generation takes over, your customers your suppliers and vendors, and especially your team members, when you make the announcement, so-and-so is now officially the CEO and I'm stepping aside completely, the other people look around and go, oh, I thought she already was. I thought he already was because they've moved up into that lane right in, you know, like a, like a, a handoff with a relay racer, uh, an Olympic relay that that runner behind the runner in front has to be running at the same speed as the runner behind and then the handoff occurs and only then does the runner behind break away but it, and if you and if you've ever watched an olympic relay the handoff is so smooth and so quick you really have to watch to see the baton hand it's so subtle because they're they're running at the same speed it's not you don't run up to somebody and hand it to them and then they take off Yeah, you've got to be moving in progress. So I think a lot of people that are handing off businesses, there's this thing where they go, I I can't let go control or I can't get them to do things the way I do. And until they do it exactly that way, 
I cannot let go of this business. How do you deal with that conflict that happens there? Well, there's two parts to that. One is if you expect anyone who's leading inside your organization to do everything exactly the way you would do it, then you've got some growing to do as a leader because that's that's unhealthy. You don't you want to have people to have different personalities. You want them to have a different way of doing it. Now, what's not negotiable are the principles, the why you do it. Okay, we do this because this is who we are. That's not negotiable. And you don't need to hand off to the next generation until they've got that part. But once they've got that part, then they can dance within their personality style, their makeup, and the way they do things. And uh, I've got that all through this building. I got, I got, you know, we have 178 leaders right now inside of our organization at varying levels. I've got 16, 17 operating board members, and I got six direct reports out of those. Almost none of them are just like me, you know, very few of them. And most of them are a lot nicer than I am. <laughs> I'm kidding. They're, they're a lot less uh, blunt or brusque. They're a little more polished than I am. But, but also they just got a different style of how they get at things. And, and I don't care how they do it, but the principle behind the decision has to be consistent or the whole thing's going to unravel and fall apart. And that's why having core values are important. That's why having the vision and the mission outlined and everyone bought in. Yeah. Uh, that's so key because the process, like you're saying, that can change. The way you get to it's a decision changed while I've change. been doing it. I mean, when I started this, the internet hadn't been invented. You know, think about it. Yeah. I mean, we didn't know we were going to – there couldn't spell podcasts. There wasn't any such thing. It was, you know, first time the internet came out, it was dial-up, you know, 14.4, right, and floppy disks. And we thought, oh, well, that's kind of cute thing to have over in the corner. And then all of a sudden, the whole stupid world's run by computers, right? So, but, uh, I mean, we never dreamed what we'd do on a smartphone. We didn't have any smartphones. Our phones were dumb. And so, uh, you know, all these things. So how we have done stuff has changed dramatically in 30 years. But the principles behind why we do it and, and that drive the decision-making in the how are, have not changed. Those are solid. So processes have to change, but principles don't change. And that's true inside your organization while you're there, and it needs to be true after you leave. Well, these three phases obviously key and some really important nuggets, some important conversations that listeners need to be having as they begin family business, while they're in it, and while they begin to transition it to the next generation. That's Absolutely. Dave. As Dave talked about, family business can be a great blessing, but you have to get the three phases of family business right. There's a difference between knowing how you should run your family business versus actually doing it. We'll have a conversation about that right after this. Here's a math refresher. There are only 24 hours in a day, so you and your team need to streamline time-consuming tasks to focus on the activities that make money. Smart businesses are realizing that to reduce headaches as they scale, they need NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, and HR into one platform. With NetSuite, you can reduce IT costs because it's cloud-based. You can cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one source of truth. It's a big deal. And you improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, saving time and cutting manual tasks and errors. So join the more than 37,000 smart companies like Ramsey Solutions that have done the math and are boosting their efficiency with NetSuite. And right now you can download NetSuite's popular KPI checklist designed to drive the right behaviors for your business absolutely free at NetSuite.com slash Ramsey. That's NetSuite.com slash Ramsey to get your own KPI checklist. This episode is brought to you by Trainual. Even when you're great at running the day-to-day, -day, a lot of leaders struggle to delegate. But delegation is a critical leadership skill, and empowering your team by building that skill just takes having the right system in place. Well, Trainual is that system, and it's a game changer. Trainual is an easy-to-use app that helps document and organize everything about your company in one place. 
clear outlines for every role and responsibility, step-by-step training for all your SOPs and employee handbook content, an org chart and directory. You can build accountability tests. Employees can even use Trainual's powerful search to answer their own questions. Companies using Trainual are cutting training time and related costs by up to 75%. Get started with over 300 templates and their world-class support. It's time to get your entire team playing from the same playbook. Visit Trainual.com slash Entree today for a demo and get 15% off your first year with code Entree15. That's 15% off at T-R-A-I-N-U-A-L dot com slash Entree with code E-N-T-R-E-1-5. In our second interview, Daniel Ramsey joins Dave and I to talk about how we do family business here at Ramsey Solutions. You might recognize that name. He's Dave's son, and he's also an operating board member and EVP of Entree Leadership. And from a young age, Daniel was fascinated with watching his dad run the business. Growing up, really, like like most sons, like my dad was my hero. I looked at him and I wanted to to be that. I wanted to to be a part of that. And growing up, I loved coming home when my dad came home and asking how about work, getting to hear the details of what happened, the conversations he was a part of the deals he was thinking about, different things of that nature. And uh, he was really good at protecting family time and not going into the business too much. But for me, I always wanted to pull it out of him. And so I was always really interested in it. He was a little entrepreneur. (laughs) I can tell, very business-minded. Yeah. Yeah, and so uh, a lot of great memories in that. And really for us, Dave did a great job, or really I should say dad in this instance. Uh, we're in the office, so I'm, I'm mixing it up, right? I'm calling him Dave just because we're sitting in the office right now. But growing up, dad did a great job at not pressuring us, as he talked about earlier. He really made it the option known and available, but he very much encouraged me to go to the Lord and really seek my own calling and seek my own purpose. And he would ask challenging questions. He would ask questions to force me to think about my future, to think about what God had for me and still does, you know, still does. You know, obviously I'm working here in the business and, and God has different paths for me and, and has had different plans for me over the years than <laughs> I even expected. And uh, my dad and conversations with my dad outside of work uh, have been incredible in formulating that and how I respond to the changes and the curveballs that God throws our way. Wow. Well, I've seen you grow exponentially over the seven years here, and you are absolutely called for where you are. So we're we're pumped you said yes. At <laughs> least I am. Thanks, Rich. So you talk a lot about wearing hats, and you're talking about dad versus Dave. What does that look like in the day-to-day operations? So my sister Rachel actually started that. She really came in, and she started calling dad Dave, especially in the office setting. And for us, that laid such a good foundation for me, especially she modeled it well. And for me, uh, I loved it because I always had a desire of like wanting to be treated normal. I didn't want to be treated like the boss's kid. I, I hated the thought of that. And so for me, calling dad Dave at work was really important for me. And for me, the first several years I was here, I was in very few meetings uh, with my dad. And so I got to talk about him from a distance and call him Dave, refer to him as Dave. I was in sales, so I was actually calling on clients or potential clients, referring to him to Dave, as Dave. And that was interesting in its own right. But going through that over the years, I think it's done twofold. I think it has uh, added my credibility for me being my own person. And it's also added a layer of like the way the team interacts with me, the team Treat, is more likely to treat me like a team member when I refer to him the same way they refer to him as. Mm. Yeah, that's important. And family businesses, they can get stuck in this operations phase. I want to park in this for a little bit. So let's dive into this. You talk about people working in the right role for them. How do you determine the right role when it comes to family members? Uh, no differently than you determine the right role for someone else. Uh, Jim Collins talks about getting the right people on the bus, the wrong people off the bus, the right people on the right seats on the bus. And so if your family member is not good at details, don't put them in accounting. Well, you know, I mean, duh. You know, so, you, you know, they have to be a match with their gifting, a match with their calling, a match with their talents, their training. Uh, can they do the job? You don't get the job just because of the last name. That's that's ridiculous. You get the job because you can do the job. And uh, don't – because you set the whole thing up for extra drama, toxicity, resentment through the team, lack of effectiveness, pissed off customers – 
everything else when somebody can't do the job. And when they can't do the job in their family, it just makes you look horrible. It's just awful. And so you've got to add the training and add the mentoring. Uh, they've got to build their skill set and st- to be able to step into something a little bigger each time uh, if they're going to move through the through the organization. But I was uh, with with a guy that has a huge business, and I went. Uh, we we're going around. He goes, "This is the creative area," and he goes, uh, "My daughter works in here." And I said, "Oh, your daughter runs creative." And he goes, "Oh, no, 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 no. She is a creative. She is not a leader." She does not want to lead. She wants to be a creative. She works for my director of create, my, my, my lead creative guy. And, and so he, he had no qualms to him. It, it made no sense to him at all that his daughter should be leading it. She has no leadership skills. Yeah, She's a – you know, creatives can have leadership skills. I'm not saying that, but I'm saying she didn't. And it was just like – he was just a gas that I would even suggest. But I automatically assumed because it was his daughter that she'd be running the department. Yeah. And when Daniel, you came on board mm-hmm. – Dave didn't just go, all right, you're going to be over an entire area. I'm going to put you in a leadership role in <laughs> your early 20s. Close. That would have been a disaster. And you've you've moved, like you said, from role mm-hmm. to role to role. In the last yeah. few years, you've been in different leadership roles, and you've earned each of those roles. None of them were nepotism where Dave just said, well, he, I think he can do it. Just put him yeah. in there, right? To my knowledge, I don't think my dad was part of it, really any of the conversations about me moving roles or being promoted. Uh, I really like to think that – and in many of the cases, the leaders that I had at the time were really going to bat for me. They were the ones suggesting the change. They were the ones that saw the opportunity and saw how I fit into that change. Mm. That's exactly what happened. That's kind of what I was going to say. And the last couple of moves were all senior leadership moves uh, with Daniel moving into Ramsey Plus and then now into this entree role. And in every case, other people on the operating board spoke up and go, okay, we've got to fill this position. And after the way this has gone down – and looking over here at skill sets, we really need to pull, you know, Dan Ram out of the Ramsey Plus where he's running squads on acquisition uh, because we're going to be a real heavy squad-based organization in Entree, and it looks like it's a good fit. And he he knows the Entree material because he grew up in it. Mm-hmm. And so it's it's perfect. And so I just sat there and said, yeah, I agree. Now the guy he the oper the executive VP that he was working with in Ramsey Plus wasn't real happy because he lost a key team <laughs> yeah. member, but but uh, he had to grudgingly go, yeah, that's really the smart thing for the company, but I don't like it. You know that's that happens all the time in here. Yeah, and it sounds like you know sunshine and rainbows because of how mm-hmm. well you guys have done this. But for a lot of business owners out there who are in family business, they may have to fire a family mm-hmm. member at some point. So this is theoretical for you, thankfully, but how does a business owner go about that process where they have to have a hard conversation with someone who is family, who is a team member and terminate them? You know, it should start uh, before they were hired. And the sad thing is it usually doesn't. Uh, so before they're hired, the expectation is, is that you're going to be better than anyone else in this role in order to be respected. What we said earlier and if you're not, then expect to be called out on that. And so the standard for excellence is uh, the, the Ramsey kids, in other words, are more like coaches' kids. They get the, I'm harder on them. The leadership team is even other than me has been harder on them than maybe otherwise. Uh, they didn't get they got the opposite. If they got any side of the pendulum, it wasn't super hard. But if they get they don't not to the point they're disrespected, but there's just an expectation of excellence. Uh, by everyone in the building. Now, the problem is that someone listening to this right now may be, you know, uh, my uncle was partners with my dad. Now I've bought them both out and my cousin, who's a drug addict, works in shipping, you know, and you inherited the problem. So you weren't Mm -hmm. able to set the table ahead of time. And that could be true, though, of any other team member if you took over a business. You could have another team member who's been with the company 30 years and is just lame, and they've just been getting away with it, being a grouch or horrible or whatever they are. And so, you know, regardless of the thing, if you'll just back up and go, would I allow anyone else to act like this? Would I allow anyone else to perform at this level? No. And so whatever the situation, and and so you've got to sit down across from the table with them and begin the conversations. And it's it shouldn't happen in one conversation. It should be a whole series of conversations that start with just identifying the problem and then try to coach and work through the problem together to help them turn the corner. 
But if your cousin who's a drug addict and shipping is going to keep smoking pot on all his breaks, he's going to have to leave because you wouldn't allow anybody else to do that. Mm-hmm. It's dangerous. You know, yeah. people get hurt back there when you're shipping stuff. So whatever example you want to use, but that that's the thing. So you just sit down and go, look, I wouldn't allow anybody else to do that. I'm not going to allow you to do that. And so, well, I'm, I, you know, my daddy started, honey, that didn't work. You don't care who your daddy is. Your daddy's gone. It's me and you now, butter. So we got to work through this and you're, you're we're going to have to, you know, you're going to have to perform like anyone else at that role is going to perform. And now let me help you get there so that you can stay. Yeah. So it goes back to that before stage of setting the table, making sure that we're aligned on the values, the calling, the mission, the expectation, the prerequisites. And uh, you go, hey, we, we told you there's no favoritism. Mm-hmm. And so we're going to treat you like any other team member. And again, you might have come in and there was favoritism. And you might go, you know, mm-hmm. the bad news is that there's now no favoritism. The good news is that there's now no favoritism. So you're going to have what's called dignity when we're through with this. Mm. Yeah. And that kind of brings us into this idea of nepotism. And I want to talk on the team member side because from the team member perspective, you have family coming in and they go, well, of course that happened. He's family. So, of course, he's going to get treated differently. So what should those interactions look like? And I know we we talked a little bit about that with the hats, but talk to us about a little bit about that nepotism, favoritism. How do we avoid that and make make it clear to the team that they're no different just because they're family? Really, I think it goes back to what we talked about earlier of like when we're in meetings together, uh, I don't treat my dad like my dad. I treat him like my CEO. And I really show him the honor uh, of that I would show a CEO. And taking a step back, I mean, talking about like honor and we like as a as a Christian, I am commanded to honor my father and mother. And in business, I'm obviously responsible for honoring anyone that leads me, but even more so um, my father. And so I have to be really sensitive and really intentional about the difference between honor and loyalty. We talked about that a little bit earlier. I'm not always in agreement to decisions that are made uh, that that my CEO, Dave, might make. Now, most of the time, definitely, like most of the time, nine times out of 10, I'm, I'm very aligned. But sometimes I would do it stylistically different or sometimes uh, I may have made a, a different decision. But regardless if I'm in agreement with that decision, I have to honor that in front of the team. I have to honor that in the meeting. I have to honor that to Dave. And so I have to respect that decision because he is in authority over me. And I have to respect that authority that he has, including the decisions he makes. And so that's incredibly important. And also that mindset can prevent so much resentment that may build or things of that nature. And we talked earlier about how we create that environment of difficult conversations. And man, difficult conversations are hard with any regular team member, but gosh, they, they're 10 times harder with a family member, right? Because you love that person and you're very afraid of damaging that relationship on both ends, you know, whether that be which generation is having the difficult conversation. And so it is impossible uh, to really have a working dynamic in a family business without really going there and having the difficult conversations. And me and my dad get to spend a lot of time together and me and my CEO spend time together throughout the week. We have a one-on-one every Thursday. As CEO and EVP, we have conversations about the business and we talk about fun, exciting parts of the business and we talk about hard parts of the business. He, as my leader, coaches me, calls me out on blind spots I have, talks to me about, gives me feedback on, hey, in this meeting, I saw you do this or I saw this that was really good or this could have been better. And those are really – those are uncomfortable, but it's good and it makes me a better man. It makes me a better leader. And then on the family side, we have breakfast every Tuesday and we have an incredible time where we talk business and we talk family and we talk life and we talk fun stuff. We talk values. We talk politics. We talk conspiracy theories. (laughs) Um, And in those settings too, we also have difficult conversations. You know, we talk about of various sorts, you know, and what's so important is by leaning into those difficult conversations that we get to have and going there, speaking the last 10% of truth, we get to have the relationship that we have. I think because I have the honor and privilege of being in the trenches next to my dad, I get to have so much stronger relationship than I would have otherwise. With that though, nine times out of 10, it does not work out that way. Nine times out of 10, people aren't willing 
to really go there and have those uncomfortable conversations. They go halfway there or they don't go there at all. And that's where resentment, animosity builds over time and ultimately can ruin the relationship you have. As far as nepotism goes, nepotism is when someone gets an unfair advantage or disadvantage because of family. Nepotism is not just simply that they're family. It's if they get an unfair promotion, an unfair pay uh, in either direction. They don't get promoted because they're, you know, a cousin and you don't like your cousin. You know, that's a, that's an, a, a toxic form of nepotism. Another toxic form would be if they get promoted beyond their competence because of their family name, because of their relationship. So that's nepotism. What the team resents is either one of those. They resent uh, a family member being mistreated or being given uh, unfair favoritism, uh, whether it's comp or whether it's position or power or voice or access or whatever it is. And so what we've just said all through this place is if we're going to make an error, it's going to be an unfair disadvantage just slightly because we don't want anyone to ever be able to say, oh, well, I figured. And the actions speak, but then you also just need to say it out loud. We tell the team all the time, we're very comfortable talking to the team and just saying, look, where it comes to Ramsey family, here's our expectations. Here's what we do. Here's how we do it. But the stuff we talk about here on this podcast, we talk about in this organization. And so, you know, in other words, if someone, if someone wants to have that thought about nepotism, it's against both the actions that they've seen and what's been verbalized. Wow. So – it sounds like the theme here is treat them like a team member, whether it's compensation, promotions, mm-hmm. interactions and meetings. You treat them like a team member when you're at work. And voice out loud to the family member and to the team and even to vendors and customers uh, th- that we realize there's a potential awkwardness and here's how we're dealing with it. Go ahead and just put it out on the table. When you just say, look, we demand excellence and here's what we do. We wear these hats, and here's how we do it, and you don't get promoted around here uh, because you're a Ramsey. You know, it just doesn't work that way. And you don't not get promoted because you're a Ramsey. It's just equal across the board. Yeah. So I want to talk about conflict here for a second because when you're family, and we talked about Rachel, right? She's not scared to have some conflict. Let's say you and Rachel are in a meeting. She's going to have conflict differently with you because you're her dad, even though – you're in a workplace environment. She's calling you Dave. How do you deal with conflict when it's family? Does it feel like you can go deeper and, and cut a little more because they have that history and context? Uh, you shouldn't in a business setting. Uh, and Rachel doesn't. Rachel's just she, – she's like me. I mean we both enjoy uh, a good debate and that's how we process information. And so you know, out of our 17 operating board members, there's about four of them other than me that um, are very verbal and the way we get to the, the last 10% of truth is we're, we're fighting and arguing about it and it's a sport. It's not a thing where we're trying to hurt someone or it's not personal. Or run, it's not personal. We're not running someone down and Rachel just enjoys the sport of arguing more than Daniel, for instance, or more than other operating board members. But there's a couple of them that like it, you know, and that's okay and it's okay if you don't. You know, it's okay. Dan, Daniel's going to – he's going to speak up. He has plenty of voice or, or you know, whoever, whichever other operating board member you want to name is going to speak up. They they have to have a voice. So they don't get to sit in that room. But some of them are more apt to process information or process decision-making by arguing and debating. And Rachel falls in that category. The thing you can't do is be disrespectful. I can't use my dad voice on her, and she can't become the – I don't know – the bitchy grown daughter or whatever, whatever, whatever thing you'd want to come up with. She's not allowed to do that here because someone else would call her out on it, Yeah, uh, you know, in there if that happened. It wouldn't be me. And it comes back to what you're saying. You can disagree without disrespecting. That's right. And that that's a line you've got to, you've got to figure out there. And I feel like you guys obviously do that really well. Most um, of the time. Yeah, most of the time. I can think yeah. of a time where I showed some bad body language that uh, wasn't very respectful. But, yeah, we try. We're not perfect. Yeah. So we've been in the operations side. I want to move into the succession side. So for that business owner, they want to transition the business to family. What are some of the practical things they need to be thinking about doing, maybe even when it comes to, you know, the finances, the legal side, not the relational? 
Well, if you do what we said earlier and you make your succession plan gradual, it helps a bunch with the financial side because it doesn't – it isn't a sudden moment in time where someone has to come up with bazillions of dollars to buy dad out or mom out or whatever or your uncle out, whatever whatever the scenario is. And so if you if it's been planned over a long period of time, then it helps position – the next generation to make that financial plunge if there's one involved. Certainly there's a lot of companies do a lot of, a lot of families do things differently. Uh, in our case, uh, Sharon and I have worked very hard to be independent uh, and, in the, and we've been really blessed. So we're more than independent. We're in really good shape. We don't need income or we don't need the asset of Ramsey to exist. So when the day comes, if I'm alive and handed off, they will not be buying me out. Uh, they'll just be taking it. I'm managing it for God. They'll begin to manage it for God, and they'll become the owners, uh, the formal owners at that point. Uh, we've already transferred the majority because of state planning, but it's not going to do with the power flow or the governance. I own controlling. I have control today, but when I relinquish that control, if you're a business owner and you're listening, get your act together on your own. Have a million dollars in your 401k. You know, have some rental properties that are paid for. Have some stuff. And then the business doesn't have to be put in a huge financial strain for the next generation in order to support you. And so that that's a big deal. And that, that might take you 10 years. That might be part of your 10-year transition plan, your succession plan. So get your act together, independent of the business. Now, then if they're going to buy you out, it can be stuff where you give them almost all the cash flow for three years. And the next generation just takes a salary, you know, a minimal salary. And, and But all the profits go to mom or to dad or whatever and to buy out. You know, three years of profits buys them out or four years of profits buys them out. And that, that would give them a huge nest egg. If that's your only thing. But a lot of small business owners that are family do not do a good job of having investments other than the small business. Yeah. And you need to have your own 401Ks. You need to have your own real estate investments. You need to have your own stuff other than that. So how important is having an outside party like an attorney get involved? And at what stage would you begin to do that when it comes to transferring a business? Um, you, you need to consult one early on about how you're going to do it. I mean, we decided 10 years ago, how 12 years ago, how we were going to do it mechanically with an attorney. And then really we, we put a few things in place. We've done a few adjustments as we've gone along here or there, little things. But uh, some of that was from a tax planning standpoint, from a state plan, tax planning, uh, and some of that was structural. We've got it set up to where, you know, there's only one last step, and that's the last little bit of percentage, which is all the voting stock that I'll hand over. And that'll either happen at death or or at, quote, when I step aside. And uh, my intention in this case is I intend to still work here uh, and be a Ramsey personality. Uh, Who report to me? <laughs> yes. <laughs> I don't know if I'll be able to behave or not. <laughs> yeah. So how do you know, you know, is it based on a timeline? Because you're talking about 10 to 12 years. Is this a hard and fast thing? And, hey, we, mm. wanna, we set this goal and say at the end of 10 years, we want to be in a place where this can happen? Well, what happens is it makes you answer the question like it does with a lot of strategic things of what must be true. What must be true is the finances need to be in order. What must be true is the next generation needs to be ready. What must be true is the brand transfer, if there is one, that's associated with the founder needs to be able to have been handed off. In our case, it's been a big deal. What must be true is the next generation, I think I already said this, needs to have the money. The money needs to be figured out. And so – then you start working towards that, and if you don't set a date certain, it's like these guys that call me on the radio and they go, well, my fiancé and I, and I'm like, well, when are you getting married? Oh, someday. Well, that's not your fiancé. Not until you set a date. <laughs> Painter, get off the ladder. You know, and if the founder will never quit unless they force themselves to by putting a date down, and you'll be 87 years old with your 67-year-old child running the business with no power and no backbone. Mm. And that's just, that's not, that's not healthy for the business. It creates a horrible thing for the next generation. And it really reflects poorly on you. Mm -hmm. so, so how do you know when it's time to say, 
all right, I'm out. I'm letting go. Obviously, death is one way to do that, right? That's an easy way to let go. <laughs> you don't have control of that. But is there a point where you go, all right, I don't want to do this anymore, or I'm not in a place to be able to do this anymore? I think it's an individual decision that you make with your family and with your leadership team. But do make a decision and put a date down, because otherwise you'll kick the can on down the road. Now, you can kick the can down the road if the things that must be true aren't true. If you say, all right, um, you know, the next generation has to be ready to lead, and they're not ready to lead by the date you thought, and everybody around you is going, they're not ready. If you hand it to them right now, you're going to break their back. They don't have muscle structure to carry this thing. Then you've got to stay a little bit longer and finish the mentoring process out or whatever, or you got to decide if you're going to go another direction because they're not able to lead it, not able to carry it. So, you know, if, you, if you've answered all the questions of what must be true, then you stick with your date. And some people go, I want to retire at 63. Some people want to quit sooner. In my case, I enjoy coming down here. I'm going to force myself to step out for the good of Daniel, Rachel, Denise, and for the good of Ramsey. I'm going to force myself to do it but because I, I could work until I can't make sense, and it wouldn't bother me a bit. I could drive it all the way into the ground. It wouldn't, make, it wouldn't bother me a bit. But it, it's not good for the things that I love. It would be completely selfish. So as we wrap, Daniel, I want to hear from your perspective as the next generation. What advice would you give to those that might be in your spot where you're going, all right, I got to carry this thing. I've got to make sure this transfer is smooth. What advice would you give to those people? Yeah, so for me, uh, when I first joined the business, I raised my hand and, and kind of waved, waved my hands and said, hey, when it comes to talking about the future, when it comes to talking about what my potential role could be years down the road, I don't think I am at a place where I can emotionally carry the weight of what the future could hold. Like, I want to focus on being the best salesperson I can be. That was the role I joined the company with full-time after college. And so for me, I said, hey, guys, can we just not have the conversation because I'm not ready for it. I just really need to win in my sales role. And over time, as I grow, I think I will have the capacity from a confidence, from an emotional, from a spiritual perspective that I can carry the burden of, of this path. And so over the years, as I grew in my role, we had more and more open conversations about what the future could hold. Now it doesn't intimidate me at all. Now I – um well, that's not completely true. Uh, now it, it tends to be <laughs> significantly less than it used to. Now I'm excited about what the future has in store. And I know that God, of course, as I mentioned earlier, is always going to throw us curveballs. Uh, and he's going to do that on purpose so that we uh, are forced to rely on him or we're, we're forced to stretch in new ways that we wouldn't stretch ourselves. Uh, and I love how God does that for us. I don't always love it at the time. but And so that transition should be gradual. It shouldn't be this, uh, if both parties are intentional, if both generations are intentional, like we've been talking about, it won't be this overnight transition. It'll be over time. It'll be talked about. It'll be processed. It'll be earned more than anything. I think what, what's important is, again, I'll go back to the gradual part. If, if, you're, if you haven't started your succession plan uh, and, and your transition plan, you're late. Mm-hmm. Well, my child's three. You're late. You should have started when they were born. You know, you need to start it because you've got to start processing it in your head. They've got to start processing it at the different levels. Like Daniel said, he didn't want to talk about it early. Now he's more open to talk about what we're going to do, how we're going to do it, and those kinds of things. So you you begin to talk about it. um, And then that allows that person that's coming up uh, to be mentored by your leadership team, to build relationships with the leadership team that they're going to be leading, the organization they're going to be leading. It allows them a personal growth curve. Because they've got to have, they got to put some tools in their belt they don't have, in order to be ready. And, and so you got you got to identify and go. You know, like when I was thirty two, I had, you know, I had ten people and I was a boss. I wasn't a leader, and so I get John Maxwell tapes right, and I start reading leadership, everything I could get my hands on. I didn't know what a leader was. I was a boss. I told people what to do. That's all I did. And and most of the time they didn't even do it. So you know it was awful. It was horrible. And I'm a world class leader today, but uh, that didn't happen. For me, and it's not going to happen for my successor, and it doesn't happen for you out there listening, and it's not going to happen for your successor. It's not, it's not a natural state of affairs to grow. It's an intentional act. And so reading, growing, attending conferences, you know, sticking with entree leadership, all the different things you can do to become better, and the successor you know, needs to be uh, continually sharpening their saw. Mm. Yeah, it, it goes full circle to what we talked about at the beginning of this. It has to be calling. And it has to be, you know, as the older generation is planning, they have to 
do exactly what, what I'm so grateful for, which is what my dad did for us, is he he was in, very intentional about planning with open hands. He didn't hold, hold on tightly or too tightly to the plans that he had in mind. He, as we grew, both in our childhood and in our careers as adults, he adapted and he watched us and didn't pressure us to fit the plan that he may have had, but really like allowing God to to guide it and for it to adapt and change and continue to be intentional throughout it. You know, when have we ever created a plan and it worked out exactly yeah. as we did, right? Yeah. King James Version says in Proverbs 22, train up a child in the way he should go, and when he's old, he'll not depart from it. Now, a lot of people use that as a parenting thing, and the idea if you teach them how to behave, later they'll behave, you know, that kind of thing. And there's, that's truth to that. But this has to do also with calling and career. Mm-hmm. And what we forget is this. Those of us that um, – you know, let's say you're out there and you're listening and you you want your one of your children to come in and take over the business. It's your desire. Well, it's not up to you. You better hold this with an open hand. It's the best laid plans of mice and men because that proverb does not say train up in the child in the way you want him to go. It says train up a child in the way he should go. Actually, that's New King James. The Old King James says in the way he is bent. Train up a child in the way he is bent, meaning the way he is designed. And so I talked earlier about, you know, Rachel is a communicator on the stage. That's the way she's designed. Daniel's an entrepreneur. It's the way he's designed. Uh, Denise is more ministry minor. It's the way she's designed. Had it been different, it'd be the roles would be different. Because I didn't I, I didn't figure I didn't create them to do that. They were created to do that. I just watched it and said, this is the way they're bent. This is the way they should go. And then let let that happen rather than, I really need someone in accounting. I wish you knew details. You know, sorry, can't do it. Wow. Well, Dave, Daniel, thank you so much for peeling back the curtain and showing our listeners how we have done family business, how we continue to do it, and how we continue our succession plan to pass it to the next generation. I know it's going to help tons of business owners out there trying to figure this thing out, and it's so difficult. There's so much emotion. It's so relational. It's so tactical. There's money attached to it. So thank you guys for uh, giving us that wisdom today. Thank you, George. Thanks, George. Hope you enjoyed that conversation with Dave and Daniel, and there's no doubt about it. Owning a small business is hard, and when you add family to the mix, it can get even more challenging. That's why we've created a guide on the six major mistakes that will destroy your family business. To get the free guide, click the link in the show notes. Hope you enjoyed today's episode of the show. If you did, leave us a review and subscribe so you don't miss the next one. And if you're a small business owner with two to 200 team members, we'd love to hear your feedback on the show and ask you a few questions. Click the link in the show notes to fill out a brief survey to schedule a call with Tim, our producer. As always, you can follow us on social media at Entree Leadership. This episode was produced by Tim Hull, edited by Jacob Harrison, and mixed and mastered by Will Rudder. I'm your host, George Camel, and on behalf of the entire Entree Leadership team, thanks so much for listening. Until next time, keep learning and keep leading. If you enjoy this podcast, you should check out other great podcasts from the Ramsey Network, like The Ken Coleman Show. Are you doing what you were born to do? I'm Ken Coleman, host of The Ken Coleman Show, where I give you practical advice to help you discover your purpose and then map out a plan to get you there. From accounting to advertising, from plumbing to production, you were created to fill a unique role, and the world needs what you have to offer. Join me on The Ken Coleman Show wherever you listen to podcasts.